Well, welcome uh, to Safe Haven. My name is Troy Nicholson. I'm, I'm one of the teaching pastors here at Safe Haven, if I don't know you. Um, I'm glad you're here with us this morning. We're going through the book of Exodus as a church. It's, it's, we journey through books of the Bible together, and, and this is the book that we find ourselves in. We've made it to chapter 14. Uh, Lord willing, today we'll make it from 14 and 15 together and in our continuing journey through the book. But maybe to kick it off, um, I want to give you... Um, a, a fun moment, uh, the top 10 best-selling songs of all time. And right now, even if I, as I say that, you're probably thinking of some songs in your mind. I was a little bit shocked, to be honest with you, about this list. Uh, but this top 10 best-selling songs of all time is according to a website, so it has to be true, um, named All Top Everything. And this was as of June 2022, so this is a fairly recent list. We're going to go backwards. So, number 10, top telling, top pfft, song, top selling song of all time, Perfect by Ed Sheeran. Uh, who would have known? Um, Ed Sheeran's my boy. I mean, we don't know each other, but um, great song. Number nine, Something Just Like This by the Chainsmokers and Coldplay. Number eight, I Will Always Love You by The Whitney Houston. Number seven, Rock Around the Clock by Bill Haley and the Comets. Number six, Silent Night, Bing Crosby. Number five, In the Summertime by Mungo Jerry. Anyone? (laughs) No, no, yes. Anybody? Does anybody know this song? Okay. A lot of people know it. Well, I mean, that's on the list. So, of course, some people would know it. I've never heard of that song. Maybe, um, I guess, I'm going to play it. Number four, uh, Candle in the Wind by Elton John. Number three, Despacito by Louise Fonzi and Daddy Yankee. I just like to say that name. Uh, Number two, Shape of You by Ed Sheeran, back on the list. A song we shall not quote here in church. Um, and then number one top-selling song of all time, White Christmas by Bing Crosby. There you go. There's the top ten songs. Um, nothing, I know, it's bizarre. It's a bizarre list, isn't it? Um, but it, it's by gross sales and stuff like that, so you can go check it on your own. Um, you need this Bible right here. There we go. Enjoy. <laughs> Wonderful. Um, yeah, so, so nothing quite captures... Um, our hearts like music, does it? Even as I went through that, um, you probably had some memories wrapped around those songs that just kind of popped to your minds. Nothing quite grabs our heart. Have you, have you ever wondered why we even sing? Have you ever thought about that? Why, like, why do we sing? Or is it just kind of this natural eruption that erupts out of us? Um, according to psychologists, it reflects our mood, it rises up memories, it expresses feelings... And therefore, we sing for all kinds of things, don't we? We sing in times of war. We sing in times of worship. We sing for celebrations. Uh, Cole Beckett's 16th birthday is today. We shall bust out happy birthday to him um, at some point as we eat chicken wings together. Uh, We just sing. We sing for all kinds of moments. Our first date, I'll never forget a couple of songs that uh, played when me and Julie Beth went on our first date. Uh, Number one, uh, just so happened that on the radio um, or my cassette tape, um, the song You Look Wonderful Tonight by Eric Clapton just happened to pop up. It just happened to be on the playlist. And then following right after it, Harry Connick Jr.'s Recipe for Love. But 
I'm just telling truths. I'm not saying this is good advice. I'm just saying what happened, and now my father-in-law will probably shoot me this afternoon. Um, but, <laughs> but it worked out, Benny. It worked out. Um, two songs. I still remember those songs. So anytime those songs come on the radio, my mind goes back to those moments to where we were lost driving downtown down a train track in a Honda Accord. Um, but nonetheless, today, today, Moses erupts in a song. Chapter 15 of Exodus is a song. As a matter of fact, it's the first song in all of the Bible. So I begin all of this to set our minds' attention and hearts' affections to why is Moses doing this? Why is there this song written? Why, why does he erupt in the song? Uh, why is it there? So before we can go into the song of Moses, which is what it's called in Exodus, four, Exodus 15, we're going to go back to Exodus 14. We'll travel through that to kind of see why he wrote the song. Uh, Some of you guys will remember this, and many of you guys will not, but there was a music channel um, called VH1. Some of you guys remember VH1? And and they actually played music back in the day, um, along with MTV. But they used to do a thing called Behind the Scenes, or Behind the Music. Do you guys remember this? Where they would go behind the music. Well, if you will, chapter 14 is behind the music to why chapter 15 was written, and why Moses erupts in this song. So we're going to do that. Let me give you a recap of our journey so far that we've made it through the book of Exodus. We've made it up until last week to Passover. Uh, Passover being the Lord has set His people free. In setting them free, He has given them a personal consecration, if you will, last week. They're setting aside first fruits because the Lord has set them free. He's given them a community uh, consecration. They now have feasts to celebrate this moment that they've been set free. Then they had a spiritual consecration where we ended last week with uh, the Lord said, listen, you are set apart, you are set free, and here's a marker, you'll know this, but I'll give you two clouds. One cloud will cover the sunshine and it will guide you. So there was this cloud that uh, followed them by day to protect them and then this cloud of fire by night and those two things set them apart. So he glowed, if you will, if glown, whatever that word is, he, he, he glowed, Uh, and led them by light through this cloud. So he'd set them apart. All three of these markers he had given them because they should never forget. They should never forget that they had been set free through Passover. That's what last week was all about. So the Lord has given them, I guess if you will, the pinnacle of grace. And so Beth's sporting the grace upon grace shirt back here in the back. Uh, And we thought that may be a fitting moment for this fall t-shirt for us to just be reminded it really is All about grace. It's grace upon grace. Hence the t-shirt as we go through Exodus. It's all about grace. So that's the pinnacle of this moment. Substitutionary atonement has occurred in Passover. And that has changed the world and it's changed religion. You do not earn your way to the Father. You don't earn His proverbial smile. There's nothing you can do. There's not enough good stuff you can do. You can't go on enough mission trips. You can't give enough money. You can't say enough right things. You can't do enough to where the Father goes, Oh, well now I'm proud of you. Because we're in our sin. And and the world had always done that. They had tried to earn their way. Earn their way to favor with the gods. Do the right things. Don't do the bad things. All the stuff, right? And in this moment, God says, It's not about that at all. If you put the blood on your doorpost, I will pass over your sin. It's the Passover. And so there's this scandalous grace moment because of trusting in a blood sacrifice. 
And the Lord wasn't done. He wasn't done. He had saved them from divine judgment. Yes. But there's far more to be had for believers than just being saved from divine judgment. He had saved them from Egypt. And the grip of Pharaoh, he had saved them from that. But he didn't just desire to set them free. He desired to give them the land flowing with milk and honey. They're headed towards, and all the church should say, the land of Canaan. They're headed there. He wants to give them that. He had saved them by the blood, but he wanted them to claim the inheritance that came afterwards through the blood. He had rescued them from bondage, if you will, but he didn't want them to be stuck wandering in the wilderness. There was so much more. And here's the deal before we go on. Too many people, especially in America these days, are freed from sinner's death, but just content to not live in the fullness of life that Christ offers right here and right now. We're just, we're just too content. Yes, He saved me by the blood, and then there the rest of my life is just kind of humdrum. No. There's so much more to be had, and He wants to give them that. So He's given them the pinnacle of grace, but now He's going to give them the pinnacle, I would argue, of all miracles in the Bible. Side note, apart from the resurrection of Christ. We, I think we can all agree on that. He's given them the pinnacle of grace to set them free. But now He's going to give them this miracle to just erupt joy inside them. And that's where the song is going to come from. Does that make sense? It's just so much more. He's going to give them more. Well, here we go. They have now left Egypt in our journey through Exodus. They're now wandering in the wilderness. Pharaoh has lost his labor force and had an oh no moment. Who is going to make my bricks? Who is going to build all the stuff? And so he sets foot chasing them, and the setting is at the Red Sea. So this is where we make it in Exodus chapter 14. So this song is going to be birthed, number one, I would argue, a song birthed partly out of fear. Where did this song come from? I think partly we're going to see it's because of fear that erupts. So let's look at the text together. Let's journey through it. A lot of text we're going to read through today. We're trying to get to the song Here's the setting. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of Pi-Haharath, between Migdol and the sea, in front of Baal-Zephon. You shall encamp facing it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say to the people of Israel, of the people of Israel, They're wandering in the land. The wilderness has now shut them in. Pharaoh is still worshiping the God of the wilderness. The wilderness has shut them in. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart. If you're new here, we've journeyed through all of what that means. What does it mean that God actively hardens a heart? And He does. God hardens Pharaoh's heart and He'll pursue them. And watch this. And I will get the glory over Pharaoh. I'm going to put you in trial so that I will ultimately get the glory in all His hosts. And the Egyptians shall know that I'm the Lord. And they did so. So, so far, so good, church. So far, so good. So this song is being birthed, I would argue, out of fear. But fear on this, in, in this way, uh, largely in the sense of not fear, I'm terrified of you, but fear of I'm all worthy. I'm going to do something that's going to blow people's minds. So what is he doing? God's goal in this, number one, is he's going to break Pharaoh's will. That is his goal in this whole moment. I'm going to set Israel looking like they're wandering in the wilderness because I'm going to break this man's will. I'm going to break him. 
I'm going to harden his heart. I'm doing all this to do that. You can't explain it. We can't explain it. Israel at the time couldn't fully explain it. But we look back and God says, this is what I'm doing. And if God so chooses to do this whole moment to break this man's will, he's God. So be it. He's the Lord of the universe. That's how powerful and all-worthy he is. And so the battle ultimately at this moment at the Red Sea is not between Pharaoh and Israel. The battle at this moment is between Pharaoh and God. It's a two-man battle at this point. And so there's this vendetta God has against this polytheist who's leading the world, and he says, I'll have none of this. I'm going to destroy this man. And so God's goal is to do that, but God's goal is also to break the Egyptians' will so that they're without excuse. In this moment, none of them will be able to say, we didn't know there was a God. I'm going to do all of this. Because the Egyptians shall know. You see that in the text, right? I'm doing this so the Egyptians shall know. No question that I'm God. They worship all these different gods and they'll know that I'm the Lord. And he does this, I would argue, ultimately. So that they know and also graciously so that they have an opportunity to believe. All of this stuff going on. And none of them will ever be able to say, I didn't have a chance to trust in the God of the universe. He'll look at him and go, what did you not see? Like, what a part of the ten plagues did you miss? Was it the flies? Was it the gnats? Was it the livestock? Was it the killing of the firstborn? Was it, was it the red, did you miss the Red Sea? Did you miss all of that? No one will ever be able to argue. And that's what Romans chapter 1 says. Romans chapter 1 says that all men know... Some choose to suppress the truth in unrighteousness. And so in this moment, there is this awe-inspiring fear. God's doing something. He's breaking Pharaoh's will. He's breaking the Egyptians' will. He's offering himself. He's showing himself. I will get glory over Pharaoh. The Egyptians shall know, verse 5. And when the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the mind of Pharaoh and his servants were changed towards the people. And they said, what is this we've done? that we've let Israel go from serving us, so selfish. So he made ready his chariot and took his army with him and took 600 chosen chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And he pursued the people of Israel. And while the people of Israel were going out defiantly, the Egyptians pursued them and all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen and his army. They overtook them and camped at the sea by Paharoth in front of Baal Zephyron. So now we see Egypt's goal or this captor's goal. They've got a twofold goal. Number one, they want to enslave the people for their own selfish benefit. We need laborers. So there's this fear on their part. And then we also see this moment where they're trying to do this power flex. Did you notice what they're doing here? Every bit of technological advancement they have, they're going to send forth to capture the nation of Israel. And I think that's on point, on purpose. Uh, they're not just going with, with men and with their hands. They're getting their chariots. They're getting their horses. They're, they're, here's, in other words, here's what they're doing. Y'all serve a God who gives y'all sticks and sheep. And y'all think that's a God. We're going to show you our God. Our God is the God of iron. Our God is the God of bronze. Our God is the God of chariots. Our God is the God of horses. We've got all this stuff. Look at you silly people with your sticks. 
How silly. We're coming at you flexing our full force. We're going to show you whose God is more powerful. We're about to beat down your sticks with our rumbling chariots. This is this moment. So there's this fear on their part. And that, my friend, is why you see so often in the Bible so many people mocking men and women who trust in science and chariots and horses with this phrase right here. Finish it for me. Some trust in chariots. Some trust in horses, but we as believers trust in the name of the Lord our God. This is where this comes from. You've heard all of these psalms. You've heard all of this stuff erupting all of your life. It comes from right here. So there's there's this song that's being birthed from this fear moment now. We've got to do something with these Israelites. Let's keep going. Verse 10. And when Pharaoh drew near... The people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. Now we've got an unhealthy fear. Now the people of Israel are not just awe-inspired fear. Now they're like literally fearful of all these things that they see. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Is it because there's no graves in Egypt that you've taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And now we've got a song that's going to culminate because the people are fearful. A lot of songs do burst out of very real fear. The people are are fearful. They're walking by fear and not by faith, if you will. And... In this moment, we're reminded that if we truly trust God, then we have no reason to fear. But they're fearful. Moses, we don't want to be here. We would rather go eat cabbage soup and work as slaves than to be doing what we're doing. They're they're fearful. And the people's fear ultimately culminates in criticizing Moses. What are you doing, Moses? Are you that dumb? It's where fear ultimately goes. Now, when we're fearful, we very rarely want to hold it on ourselves and go, why am I fearful? Why am I not walking in faith? We typically want to cast it on somebody else and criticize them. They're the reason I'm being fearful. If they would have done their part, then I wouldn't be fearful. It's it's casting, it's blame shifting. And so they're doing this. So in this moment... The people have fear's outcome of, yeah, we'd be better off back here eating eating porridge. But they also now have fear's amnesia. They've just watched the ten plagues occur, people. I mean, it's just happened. They've just seen the Passover. I mean, it's just happened. How many times does the Lord do something awesome in your life and then one moment trips you up and you fall back and go, oh, where are you at, Lord? How silly that is. And the Lord looks and says, why do you not remember? Why do you not look back? Why do you not look back at my faithfulness? I'm I'm, I'm faithful to you always. Why this moment? Why is this moment crushing you? And somebody in this room needs to hear that. You're stuck in the quicksand and quagmire of some horrific moment in your life right now. And you're letting that rob the joy that the Lord has given you. You're sitting here questioning, why is this? I'm mad at this. I'm mad at this. When you should just look back and see all that the Lord has done for you. Don't let this rob your joy. 
when the Lord has been faithful for ages. And nonetheless, this song is going to erupt from all of this fear. God is continually after the good of His people. That's just true in the Scriptures. But now this song is also going to be birthed partly from faith. So their fear is going to turn to faith, but there's an interesting way that that happens. Moses, the one they're criticizing, is going to remind them, Hold up! Beep, beep! Stop! Let's remember. So this song, number two, is going to be birthed partly from faith. Verse 13 of chapter 14. And Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord. That right there is worth everything we gathered for. In moments of trial and struggle, how about we just stop and go, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord. That will eradicate a lot of our fear right there. And then he goes on to say, Which He will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. Now that's an ominous moment. Verse 14, the Lord will fight for you and you have only to be silent. Maybe a lot of times the struggle in our life is because we won't shut our mouths. And we just keep on complaining. Keep on bringing it up. Negative, negative Nellies. Negative, negative Nancys. Neg- I need a guy. Negative, negative Nathans. <laughs> negative, negative, negative. And the Lord says, stop. Be silent. Watch me. In the Hebrew, shut up. (laughs) Shut up. Trust me. The Lord will fight for you. You have only to be silent. And the Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. (laughs) Lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea. Insert there with your silly little stick. (laughs) And divide it that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they shall go in after them. And here we go again, I will get the glory. God's always after His glory. He's a glory hoarder. He is. I'll get the glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts, his chariots, his horsemen, and the Egyptians shall know that I'm the Lord. When I've gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. That's why I think the whole chariots and horsemen thing is on purpose. He says, listen, they think sticks are silly, and I'm going to use this silly little stick to break apart all their technological advancement with a stick. So Moses commands them, fear not. If God is for you, who can be against you? Stand firm. Stand on the rock and let him be the one who takes the winds and moves the waters. See salvation. God's not distant. He's near. He's active. And then his command, go forward. The the phrase, well, this is what could have been, past tense, is like quicksand to our soul. I think that's why he said go forward. We get so stuck in the back. Well, this could have been, this should have been, and it's a quicksand to God's glory. So if you find yourself always looking back going, "Uh, should have been, could have been, would have been, what if I would have... The Lord's going, go forward. (laughs) Move forward. March in victory that I've given you. And in this moment, I think this is probably the greatest definition of faith that can be given if we'll look at the definition of faith here. Somebody has said, and we've said this before, and anytime somebody throws out a statement or a definition like this into the public sphere, it's always for public to look at. 
And, and it was said not too long ago, a definition of faith that somebody gave was this. Well, faith is when God takes our dreams and makes them reality. And I just think that's a horrendous definition of faith. Faith is when your dreams get completely shattered, but you continue going forward trusting in God who let your dreams get shattered. That's faith. Faith is when we look here. God, I'm trusting you when everything else crumbles. That's faith. And in this moment, that's what they see. Everything they've ever dreamed of. I'm going to have a Bob Ross. I'm going to have a house with happy little trees and a happy little house. And it's going to be right here on this square foot of land. They are wandering in the desert. (laughs) Wandering in the wilderness. And God's going, hey, in the midst of the wilderness, trust me, go forward. Keep going. Dare say their dreams have fallen short. But God. But God. He's doing something. Verse 19, let's keep going. Then the angel of God, who was going before the host of Israel, moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them, coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. And there was the cloud and the darkness. And it lit up the night without one coming near the other all night. And in this moment, God's covering is occurring and God's judgment is occurring. This moment of faith is being birthed because God literally is getting between the nation of Israel and the people that are chasing them. He's getting in between. He's there. And also, this judgment's occurring. Catch this. Both Israel and Egypt were able to see the two clouds. One of them recognized it as God and that set them free. One of them rejected it. And that ultimately brought about judgment upon themselves. Same cloud. They both see the same cloud. One goes, that must be the Lord. And the other goes, we will war for our own glory at all costs. It behooves us, dear friend, to see the Lord in all things. In all things. To never war for our own glory. To always see everything is, this is the Lord. Give Him the glory. So we see this in this moment. I'm going to read this next little section as a connected narrative. Again, we're trying to set the stage for this song. A lot of their life is fear, and this is going to come out of fear. A lot of this is now faith. God's doing some crazy things, and it's going to erupt. And then Moses stretches his hand out over the sea. If you've never heard this narrative history in your life, it's okay. You're in a safe place to hear that. I'm glad you're here to hear this today. This was a literal moment that occurred, I would again argue, the greatest miracle in all of Scripture apart from the resurrection of Christ. Let's hear the word of the Lord. So Moses stretches out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drives the sea back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. And the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground. The waters being a wall to them on their right and a wall to them on their left. The Egyptians pursued and went in after them into the midst of the sea. Catch it again. I think this is on purpose. All of Pharaoh's horses, all of Pharaoh's chariots, all of his horsemen, everything they trusted in goes in with them. And in the morning watch, the Lord in the pillar of fire and of cloud looked down on the Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptian forces into a panic clogging their chariot wheels so that they drove heavily. The very thing they trusted in is now 
bogging their souls down. And the Egyptians said, Let us flee from before Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea, that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots, and upon their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand again with his silly little stick. And in this moment, stretches out his hands over the sea, and the sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared. And as the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen of all the host of Pharaoh that had followed them to the sea. Not one of them had remained. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea. The waters being a wall to them on their right and on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the shore. What a sight to see. What a miracle. What a crazy moment. Incredibly powerful from a nature standpoint, no doubt about that. But from a spiritual standpoint, this is so incredible. There's at least six miracles that occur here. At minimum, six miracles that occurred. I won't belabor them, but I'm just going to read them real fast. Miracle number one that I see. The Lord uses Moses and his stick, two completely unworthy objects to accomplish his purposes. That's miraculous. That the Lord would use any of us for His glory is miraculous. Miracle number one. Miracle number two. The strong wind drives back the sea. It doesn't just stand up the water. There's this wind that's blown. Can you imagine the sound of this wind that has the power to make the sea stand up? I mean, the wind had to be blowing. Can you imagine this force? But what frightens the nation of Israel is the very thing that saves them. There's some of you who are so fearful of the Lord and you won't trust Him because He just seems so big and ominous. His bigness and ominousnesses is good for us if we'll submit to that. Miracle number three. The saturated land becomes dry. For the life of me, I can't figure out but by the Lord how that occurs. I tried to drive over a pond that had been drained And it had been drained for about a month. Tried to drive over it. Actually convinced my friend, some of you have heard this story, to drive his brand new forerunner across it. We made it about to the middle and his forerunner went completely nose down. (laughs) Hit the middle of the pond. This land has been saturated for thousands of years. Completely dry. That's miraculous. That's a miracle. So much so that they're walking through. Miracle number four. A million-man march agrees to walk inside this watery grave at the same time. Call me the man of lack of faith. I'm just going to be honest with you, though. I've always been honest with you. If you came to me and said, Hey, the Lord told us to go walk between these two walls of water that at any moment could fall down, I'm probably going to go, "Mm, I'm going to watch you first. (laughs) And then if you make it safely... I'll send my oldest son to test at the end of the second time. It's, it's just, it's, it's a miracle that 600,000 men besides women and children are willing to go, yes, this is the Lord. I'm more prone to go, that is a work of a demon right there. But nonetheless, they, they walk. 
They have this faith. Miracle number five. The water stood up as walls. Walls. Not just separated like the ocean. Not just kind of pulled it back as he said to Job, who is this Lord that's able to set the sea in its place and to stop the line where the sand and the sea... Who is this Lord? Not just that. Not recess. The water stood up. Who in this room has seen water stand up? Let me tell you why that's a powerful moment. Because here's what I think is happening. The water... As the Lord says, my presence is going to go through this, the Lord says, here I come, and the very water stands up at attention before the Lord Almighty. That's a powerful God. How dare we ever look at the Lord and go, oh, yeah, it's the Lord. When the waters themselves stand up at attention before His passing. This is a powerful moment. The waters stand up. Psalm 77 says, The waters saw you, O God, and were in anguish. If the waters run before the presence of the Lord, how much more should we move and not just stay stagnant? That's why we sing. Well, I'm getting ahead of myself now. Andrew, we're better sing here in a minute the loudest we've ever sung before. We're not there yet. Miracle number six. These pompous Egyptians are in a watery grave by the Lord. I think that's miraculous. All of their horses, all of their chariots, all their trained men. And we'll keep going. But catch it, church. Did you, did you catch what just came full circle? Pharaoh, who had done what to all the Hebrew boys? Say it. Drowned them in the sea is now reaping what he has sown. And him and his nation is now drowned in the depths of the sea. Oh, it's, f- it's fearful to test the Lord Almighty. Not a good move. Not a good move. And in this moment, as the old revivalist said, it's a dangerous thing to fall in the hands of an angry God. God is ticked and they bear the fullness of his wrath. And then finally, this song is not only birthed from fear, healthy fear and unhealthy fear, and faith. Now they're seeing this faith and these miracles. And so this song is going to come because of all these miracles. But now this song is going to be birthed partly because of worship. Verse 31. And Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians, so the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and his servant Moses. Israel was placed inside the Lord's water and he raised them out. Egypt was placed inside the same Lord's water, but because they rejected him, that same water caused them to perish forever. And this is the lot in life before us today for all of mankind. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And so the gospel stands before us today. And you have a choice. To walk through the waters, trusting in the finished work of Christ, or 
to walk through the waters of life for your own glory. One leads to death. One leads to everlasting life. So, Christ. This is a beautiful typology, if you will. In this moment, we are either buried with Christ and raised to walk in the newness of life, or we're buried rejecting Christ and left dead for all eternity. It's the gospel. All the way back in Exodus chapter 14. Still stands before us today. And in this moment, I bring this up because I, I say this, this results, this song's going to come re- out of worship. The nation of Israel sees going through, plunging beneath the flood, if you will, as the very means to worship. They, they, they see the Lord's great power. They see it. And so they fear and they believe and, and they rejoice and they, they go from criticizing, to save, uh, criticizing Moses to, to actually enjoying Moses' presence. Everything changes. And the ordo salutis, if you will, in Latin, will always result in worship if you understand it the right way. The ordo salutis just simply meaning the order of salvation. If you understand how you were saved, it will always result in worship. Did the people first fear God in awe and then see His power? Did they, did they go, yes, we're with you, Lord. We're for you. We're this. And then see His power or... Did they see his power move, get on the other side, and then go, we believe. They saw the power first, didn't they? Have you ever contemplated your salvation? You probably don't worship well if your concept of salvation is this. I'm the one who walked the aisle. I'm the one who prayed the prayer. I'm the one who reached down and tied up my bootstraps to prove to the Lord how good I am. I'm the one that did the works. I'm the one that did this. I'm the one. If that's you, you probably don't worship well. Because at the end of the day, you did it all. Lord, I I came to you. I'm I'm the one. I'm I'm the... Now, the one who worships well and gets the happy holy thing is probably the one who goes, nothing in my hands I brought. Simply to the cross I cling. I couldn't time my shoes the right way. I couldn't pray the prayer the right way. I couldn't walk the aisle the right way. I couldn't get dunked the right way. It was just you. I'm only saved because you flexed your power and awoke my heart to trust in you. Boom! That person worships greatly. Because we've seen the power of God. And in seeing the power of God, it awakens us to realize there's nothing that we brought to salvation except the sin for which our salvation was made necessary. And in that moment, we have a great big view of the gospel and of the cross. And that erupts in worship. That's what happened to the nation. They saw it all. They saw everything occur. They walked across. They they saw God flex the power. They got to the other side. They looked back and went, 
What just happened? It's only by the grace of God we made it. And so they worship greatly. In church, that is why chapter 15 was written. That's why the song erupts. It births out of fear. It births out of faith. It births out of worship and seeing all this. And so what began in chapter 14 with sighing and whining now results in singing and rejoicing. So they sing this song about redemption of the Lord's as a warrior and this song about guidance and victory and God's eternal reign. It's good for us to sing these songs. We sing so many songs about love and I don't know why I'm thinking of Dove's Cry now. Uh, which should have been on that list when Dove's Cry. Um, we sing all these lovey-dovey, mamby-pamby, huggy-huggy. This is the song. It's good for us to sing songs about the Lord as a warrior God. We need more songs like that. Screaming of how powerful He is and this is what happens. It's not wrong to ask the Lord to drive our enemies back. It's not wrong for us to see the Lord as the one who shields us due to His strength. It's not wrong to call on a mighty warrior God and all of these things are going to happen. As a matter of fact, hear the words of the song of Moses. Then Moses and the people of Israel begin to sing a song to the Lord. First song of the Bible. Saying, I will sing to the Lord, for He has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider He has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He's become my salvation. This is my God and I will praise Him. My Father's God, I will exalt Him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is His name. Pharaoh's and Pharaoh's chariots and his hosts he cast into the sea. His chosen officers were sunk in the Red Sea. The floods covered them. They went down to the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shattering the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you overthrow your adversaries. You send out your fury. It consumes them like stubble. At the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The floods stood up in a heap. The deeps congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I'll pursue. I'll overtake. I'll divide the spoil. My desire shall have its fill of them. I'll draw my sword. My hand shall destroy them but you. But you blew with your wind and the seas covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, your majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? You stretched out your right hand, the earth swallowed them. You've led your steadfast love, the people whom you have redeemed. You've guided them by the strength of your holy abode. The peoples have heard, they tremble, pangs have seized the inhabitants of Philistia. Now are the chiefs of Edom dismayed. Trembling seizes the leaders of Moab. All the inhabitants of Canaan have melted away. Terror and dread fall upon them because of the greatness of your arm. They are still as a stone till your people, O Lord, pass by. Till the people pass by whom you have purchased. You will bring them in and plant them on your own mountain. The place, O Lord, for which you have made for your abode. The sanctuary, O Lord, which you have, your hands have established. The Lord will reign forever and ever. For when the horses of Pharaoh and his chariots and his horsemen went into the sea, the Lord brought back the waters of the sea upon them. 
But the people of Israel walked on the dry ground in the midst of the sea. So then Marion, the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took a tambourine in her hand. And all the women went out after her with their tambourines and they started dancing. Everybody got a little bit charismatic in this moment. Connor broke out the banjo. They're singing this song and all of a sudden tambourines get... If tambourines get pulled out here in church, everybody's like, oh my gosh, we had a tambourine today? What is that? Creepy little tambourine. How do you play a tambourine? They didn't know what to do. They were like, just grab something that makes noise. Let's celebrate. And then Miriam sang to them, sing to the Lord for He has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider, He's thrown into the sea. That's why the Song of Moses. Fun fact. That song is the first song in the Bible. If you go to Revelation chapter 15, where John sees people singing in heaven, anybody want to take a wild guess what the Bible says they're singing? The Song of Moses. It changes things. Why do they sing a song? Why do Christians sing songs? Because outward worship is always the natural response when you understand the internal miracle that has occurred in the Lord saving your soul. Would you pray with me? Well, Lord, what a text! What a text! And I pray that we'll never see Exodus 14 and 15 the same. As just a fun story that we can slap up at VBS and make some cute little decorations about. But that we'll understand the flexing of your power. Enough to cause the writing of a song of redemption, of glory, of majesty. Lord, that we'll think on the fact that you didn't just give us this moment as historical narrative, but you brought it to life through the person and work of the Son. Holy Jesus. Thank you. Thank you for bringing this to life in our hearts as believers today in 2022. That you stepped out of heaven as the King of Kings. That you you became part of creation. That you lived life perfectly. That you earned life. But yet, you chose to be Crushed, broken, split, if we will. You poured out your blood so that those who would pass through the blood would find life eternal. So Lord Jesus, thank You for doing something greater than just water standing up but that You would take our dead souls for those who place their trust in Your substitutionary atoning work and that You would rise us to life so that we could stand up before the glory of the throne in the day to come and for all eternity.
Thank you, Lord Jesus, for doing the work that we could not do and we would not do. Thank you for plunging us beneath your crimson flood so that we too can find a better life than just the land of Canaan, but life eternal with you, the great and majestic Lord. Lord, you're great. And greatly to be praised. Great are you, Lord. Would you stand?